Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, DGens and DGenets, to another episode of the Alfalfa Podcast. We are four radically moderate entrepreneurs and investors swimming in the messy gray ocean, serving up alpha in money, politics, and life. We are Nick, the Algo Urbani, Eric, Tinfoil, Joe Hansen, Stephen, the personality Cesaro, and I am Armon, the beard Asadi. All links at alfalfapod.com. Make sure to hit subscribe and support us wherever you're listening. And of course, follow us on the socials. And if you want to hop into the community in between episodes, join our discord at the same link for the after party. Episode 36, it's money time. We're talking about real estate today. We're taking a little departure from the normal markets and crypto talk. We're going to be talking about whether it is better to buy or rent your primary residence. This is a topic that we've all discussed at some point or another. And um, Nick's going to kick us off. It's going to be a fascinating discussion. We're going to get into all kinds of shit. But first, Alfalfa Round, since this is our money segment. Nick, kick us okay. off. Okay. Yeah, I'm next to you. So let's do it. Uh, I didn't make too many moves. Um, I did um, buy a small amount of uh, Facebook puts to hedge my portfolio. So picked one of the Highest beta things I could be out there for this uh, week of economic data. And uh, yeah, played with it. We'll see how it turns out. And then... Um, well, those are worthless. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They're down and after after hours. So Is we'll it? see. Okay. We'll see. Um, and then also, we were just talking before we press record. Um, I usually have like a certain amount of money that I keep, you know, in living, living expenses and cash. And uh, I doubled it just because... I don't know. Feels nicer when you just feel like you're going into a time of economic uncertainty. Um, yeah, I just kind of your security bag. Yeah, like my your rainy day. The, the short, the bag. yeah, the yeah. the short term bag. Double the length. Double basically. the length of it to just or give did more you breathing double room. Double the lifestyle. <laughs> no, I, no, trying to trying to keep okay. that flat. Trying to avoid the Got hedonic it. adaptation. Mm. Yes. Very nice. So those are the two moves. Nice. Um, I switched it up. I was an option buyer uh, most recently, uh, straddling it, buying puts and calls. The puts are going to expire worthless. I'm talking about ETH, ETH options. And, uh, you know, ETH is just on a rocket ship right now. We're all loving that. Um, the calls are the calls are working, clearly. Uh, puts are going to be worthless. Um, but, yeah, I, I still – I sold uh, leap ETH calls at, like, the 6K strike. Um, if, if we hit that – Wait, what date? Oh, that's for uh, December 31. That's for June of next year. June of next year. Sure. Leaps, baby. Playing with fire. I like it. Yeah. But like if, if we hit that, you know what? I still got a long bag that I'm happy. I'm happy. Covered, like, covered call? Of course. Okay, nice. I, like I mean, I don't, I don't think I can even sell calls that aren't covered uh, in the platform that I use, FTX derivatives. So yeah, that's, that's how I went. I even closed some of my uh, shit coin and shit stonk shorts in advance of FOMC. Or uh, yeah, FMC. So that that worked out pretty well, and uh, I'm I'm comfortable right now. That's lovely. Comfortable. <laughs> I, I had a good week at the trading desk. I I closed my short hedges and around like fourteen hundred, which was like a small chunk of my stack. And then I made a big scalp trade, like fourteen eighty eight ETH. You're on yesterday. a nice little run, my friend. Oh uh, yeah. Can I was, size you up? It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Drucker Miller size you up. Right? Almost, Miller almost bottom tick for that uh, movie yesterday uh, to to two dollars, and I'm fully long going into FOMC, and then we mega pump. So I'm feeling feeling pretty 
pretty good about myself. Are you say. going to uh, risk off after that? Pump? Probably, probably a sign I should. Now that I'm bragging, about <laughs> yeah, it. bragging is always <laughs> never top, a good sign. Top signal. Uh, th- this week, uh, well, uh, like a couple of days ago, I, I had a call with uh, Josh from from Tracer Dow. Shout Actually, out, Josh! Thank you, thank you for the hookup, Nick. You're welcome. Uh, and he was like, "Have you have you heard about this uh, Umami Finance?" on Arbitrum. And I was like, actually, yes, I have. I, I talked about it a few weeks ago as like a sort of a symbol of what I hope DeFi can become, which is to to create sustainable yields that have some sort of actual value attached to them where you earn yield, not in an inflationary Ponzi token. And it's all just nonsense. Um, so they launched a vault today that like I've had my eye on for a while. It uses um, both TracerDAO and uh, GMX, the increasingly popular perp protocol. I don't know if you'd call it a perp protocol, but the leverage trading on-chain protocol on Arbitrum. Um, and it uh, basically executes like a delta neutral strategy for you using using GMX and using TracerDAO to hedge. Uh, the yield is about 20% right now. The vault is still closed. I'm probably going to put a, a little bit in it for, for the culture. You know, I haven't farmed in a while because it's been nasty out there and everything's basically been a scam but i am i'm hopeful uh for this project i haven't haven't bought yet been thinking about buying some bags you know when when i was a little sure we weren't gonna lose another 60 percent on eth because all the also just go to zero and i don't feel like dealing with are that. you sure now no no <laughs> i still i still only own eth and cash and i'll Probably just stay that way, you know. My 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 plan is basically like, if we dump, I buy more ETH. If we dump, I buy more ETH. If we keep dumping, I switch my ETH to. He also owns real estate. Just to be clear, just to preface our, our we'll get future there. conversation. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Wait, um, did you get into the Umami Vault because it capped at a million bucks pretty quickly? No. Okay. No, I did not. Okay. I'm I'm just I just like it. I like the Agreed. idea of it. It gives it gives me hope for DeFi. They called it real yield, and I. Feel like that was a fairly and it's real safe because it car- pays it pays USDC. Is that why it's real? It pays USDC in 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 ETH. I, but I believe the, it's, it comes. The yield comes from uh, trading, trading fees on actual trading fees from the platform. Yeah, right, like platform. when when traders leverage trade, they lose. Right, you're right. sort of playing the casino. Right? So so you can see. Oh, the yield comes from DGen Apes levered trading and losing. And from the fees they pay, right? So you're providing liquidity, you're getting fees, and also you're kind of playing the casino where you're taking the other side of it and you're getting an implied yeah. expected value for taking on that risk, right? So the yield comes from a place where you're like, oh, this is a real thing. Uh, you've got smart contract risk, obviously always a annoying thing in DeFi, but at least you can kind of see what's happening here. There's some sort of real value being provided. We're abstracting away a difficult to execute strategy that no user would really be able to do on their own if they couldn't like write a bot to kind of do this like hedging in real time. And th- this is kind of where I see everything going. I think eventually we all get an app, we pull it up. We're like, hey, what do you want to do with your ETH? You click a button and it executes some automated strategy for you. And then you go back to work and you sleep cozy, knowing that your money's safe and you're yielding. Sign me up. That's the future of real tokenomics. The future. That's not, doesn't exist today though. Would a young Taylor from Billions, that quant, be proud? I feel like this is something that like would normally take a, some kind of advanced trader at a hedge fund to implement. And now you can do it in DeFi pretty simply. Be proud and unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. All right, cool. Cool. Good shit. Um, For me, 
I started dabbling my way back into NFT land uh, over this last week a little yeah. bit. I have a sort of shopping list of items that I've been um, that that I that I'd written down that I generally wanted to own going into the next bull market. Um, one of those projects I was telling you, Eric, the other day that I'm generally long term bullish on is 10KTF, uh, which is the Beeple project among other people involved. And uh, yeah, I scooped up this. Uh, Moonbird bag um, item that I'm very excited about that I think somebody Wait, like mistakenly a, like a literal bag. No, it's like a backpack for the metaverse. Oh, so it, it is. It is a bag. It is a oh, bag. yes, a literal yeah, bag. Okay, like, yeah, literal <laughs> bag. To clarify. And uh, yeah, it's like a little day bag, um, Moonbird item. And uh, yeah, I got it. I got it cheap. I think the person that listed it didn't really realize the value. So that, among other things. Um, and really, ultimately, like, I think everyone is still just trying to figure out what this market is going to look like and the relationship between, like, fiat and ETH. And if we really have, like, already bottomed ETH, what that looks like for the future of NFTs. What I do know is that if you look back historically, the last time that certain people used their ETH to get uh, to mint as many projects as possible, which is another part of my strategy going into the next bull run is like when things really get quiet and projects start minting, I'm going to be minting as many projects as possible. One of those might end up being a board ape. And I think that ultimately like what we learned from the last cycle is like the biggest winners were, were those people that just minted the right projects. And so I want to buy ETH as cheap as possible uh, right now. And I want to take a certain amount of that allocation and put it toward NFTs. But not more than than necessary, according to like my personal allocation and thesis. So that's where I'm at. Scooped up a few NFTs and um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, sounds fun. Yeah, I needed a little bit of like uh, intoxication, yeah. uh, <laughs> a little so, dopamine hit. Yeah, yeah, a little <clears throat> something. So we're talking real estate. I want to yeah. get right to the fucking meat. So let's do it. Take us there. Yeah. So I think this is a really fun topic. Um, I also think it's not only a fun topic to, to go about because people often have differing views about this, but it also for, you know, human being is one of the biggest financial decisions you'll make. So it has, it's a, it's a decision of great consequence. Um, I was looking at some data uh, a few months ago and I, I pulled up the stat. It looked at home ownership over generations. So it looked at when baby boomers were 30 years old, their home ownership percentage was 51%. You go to the next generation, wow. Gen Xers, when they were 30, it dipped down to 48%. And millennials, when a millennial's 30 on average, they have uh, 42% home ownership. So it's obviously declining. It's declining. What, uh, just out of curiosity, what do they define those uh, uh, age ranges? I, I didn't pull that up, but I think it's probably your standard 20, if, 20, 30 years kind yeah. of thing. Before we go on from that point, that's really fascinating. What percentage of people would you say 30 years old, San Diego, any major city right now, Oh, own? Oh, well, if you're talking big cities, I much mean, lower. nothing. Well, much this, lower. Is, this is why it's... So uh, that's why I find that mm, data fascinating. Right. Is it because it's not yeah. this affordable anymore? This is not anymore? people living in major cities. We lived in San Francisco for almost a decade and nobody... Nobody. And everybody was like doing well in life. Nobody owned a Everyone home. made six figures. No one owned a residence. And everyone... Not only that, they all rented and they also all had roommates. Yeah. <laughs> and they lived in yeah. 100-year-old like <laughs> yeah. homes and apartment complexes. You, you said 42%. Yeah. Right now, right? Well, That's yeah, so not right now, but like when, if, if you look at- Millennials. Millennials at the age of At 30. the age of 30. Right. Yeah, that doesn't check out 
at all, at all. for SoCal. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, any big even, city. I, if I had to Especially guess. Especially if we go back in time to when we were 30, like how many people do we know were 30 and only? 15% was, would be my low. guess. Yeah. yeah. 15. I, and I think like the median home price right now is somewhere around 400K-ish. I, don't quote me on that, but like that's laughable in San Diego. Like you can't even, that's you can't my, even find like bathroom. a shelter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I think, you know, big cities are, are definitely cool. the uh, well, that's very interesting. exclusion. But it, it, it helps me understand that actually millennials on average, like in the rest of the country are yeah that's what they're Over doing 40 percent of them that's yeah. crazy Pretty so cool. then the next question comes is well is it because of affordability it just for each generation it's becoming less and less affordable by house or is it a proactive decision to say it doesn't make sense to buy a home it makes sense <clears throat> to, to rent and so to set this up we this is a good conversation between the four of us because we have two homeowners and two people have chosen to to rent at least for now so um, I think it gives a good fodder for the discussion. And, and where I always get troubled when I read articles or see YouTube clips or Instagram clips is that the conversation is, is never comprehensive. It's never collectively exhaustive in terms of what goes in and out financially in, in both scenarios. And so what I have here is a, a calculator that I originally borrowed from uh, Saul Khan from Khan Academy. I think he published this thing like over mm. 10 years ago and it's still one of the best calculators. It's an Excel calculator. So if anyone uh, wants it in the Discord, just just drop a drop a note and uh, we'll, we'll plop it in there. Um, but it, it does um, a, a better job of helping us answer this question. So for example, for owning, it obviously takes in the purchase price, the down payment. It takes in the proper interest amortization because typically you're paying more interest than principal in your in your loan annual maintenance, HOA fees, insurance, property taxes, appreciation, the tax savings on those property taxes and interest based on your marginal tax rate, inflation, the closing costs when you sell. And then a rent side, it takes in like all in costs, like what's your renter's insurance, parking fees, all that kind of stuff. And of course, the the return on the capital saved from not having to uh, place a down payment. Some things that are not included in this is your choice to remodel. Like that's like maybe optional. So that's not included. Um, time spent on either buying a home or finding a rental, uh, finding a mortgage, handling repairs, things like that. Doesn't take into account like moving expenses for renters because more often than not, mm. you know, you might move more if you're a renter. Also doesn't take into account the flexibility of movement. So that is kind of like the qualitative things that people got to have to weave into this uh, algo, if you will. Love the comprehensiveness of your introduction here. This yeah. Is, yeah. These are all important Well, this is what I think about. That most people don't consider when making that very right. binary and, and there's like there's qualitative factors as well totally uh, lifestyle factors yeah yeah so like a spreadsheet can't even encapsulate that stuff right but I, this does the the best way because what it does is says how what's the average length of holding a home it's roughly 10 years so it says okay let's play out both scenarios renting and buying the same exact home or apples to apples and what happens after 10 years after you sell that home you know and it takes the net present value I like that. So back from 10 years. This is great. I, I can't wait to dig into to some scenarios on the spreadsheet that we Is just, there a tinfoil take to this? Possibly? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, give it time. Okay. <laughs> give it a second. Let, the, uh, let, let him warm up. Let the agave I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I got a tinfoil Nick's, take uh, later on. I'm curious where Nick's numbers came out because I ran some numbers as well. Okay. They're different calculator. Great. So, so here's where um, I plugged in some data uh, for uh, a place in, in our area here. Um, new, got the rental rates, got the most recent sale, sales price. And, you know, in general, just to put it out there, the conclusion up front, my, my take is that 
it's often better a, a better financial, better investment decision to rent over over buy. The exclusion would have been the last two to three years where you've sure. gotten a levered 30% and, you know, you're return. not even considering the qualitative factors. You're just literally looking at a math problem. Yeah, like what's going to put more money in my pocket, present value. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is a $1.8 million two-bed, two-bath. I don't think it's even 2,000 square feet. Casual. That's what, that's what they are in San Diego. across the street from me. Yep. Um, looks at- 90 years old. Looks at a you know typical 20% down payment. Uh, right now, interest rates are 6%. It puts a property tax rate. It was at 1.1% here in San Diego, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, annual maintenance and HOA fees round up to about 1%. Um, and then there's some other you know, inputs, but the other big inputs are the rent, which is 5700 a month. And then the big one is what is your assumed annual after-tax return on your cash? Sorry, if you, what was the rent on that? 5700 Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I thought thought we dropped a zero. What what you said (laughs) in the last thing, like all these other things when when I did this were sort of like small potatoes, like your maintenance, all like your tax rate. It matters a little bit, but the big thing was like, what is your opportunity cost on the money? No doubt that you would otherwise put into your. That's what swings us things from red to green in either direction. Absolutely. Yeah. So. you know, I have my after-tax return from investing in apartment complexes, which is what I've decided to do instead of you know put a down payment on a home. But you could say I want in the S and P five hundred and lower it to six percent. You could be say I'm going to degen into ETH and give yourself a twenty-five percent annual return. I don't know over ten years, something like that. Um, but in any case, in, in oh, most cases, so. oh MZY would tell you it's uh, it's twenty five hundred percent. We got some six months. <laughs> yeah, the the Uber bulls in the Discord would would probably like to jack that number up. But even when I have like an average interest rate and even like a 6% annual return, it's still the net present value is, is in the positive um, for, for renting. For renting? For renting. God, I can't. I get completely opposite numbers. Well, so. I'm, I'm curious what, what happened. Now, if you, it, it, this is a 6% mortgage rate, which is what, oh, what's happening oh, now. Oh, that's. But like, obviously, if you got your mortgage mm. even a year ago, is you're at 2%. Is 6% the point, rate now? Like, I heard oh, yeah, you brother. Get we just went, we went three standard deviations in the positive yeah. from where we were. But I think right what we're talking about is like uh, how much timing affects every investment. Right. Like, it really does. And th- there was a take that like, um, well, I'll just sell my house when the market's up. But I-, I think there's a timing aspect. Like when you own a home, there's so many other factors that come to sell. You can't just sell it like a like ETH or a yeah, stock. Not as liquid as uh, you know, as you'd market, like market uh, assets. Yeah. So it's it's difficult to capture those returns at the top if that's your plan. Right. Yeah. So outside of this last three-year period, would most scenarios fall under that math? Yeah, like like, and I'm talking like obviously with the with the house price like 1.8 million, the numbers are bigger. But you're talking like anywhere from high five figures yep. to six, well All into six figures. All those levers are different, particularly the interest rate, but also the cost of the house. What, itself. what did you have as your opportunity cost for return in like? Stocks? Well, my personal one, yeah, it was 15 percent after taxes. Woo, what a genius! Well, I mean, that's what that I, I'm getting. Good. I'm getting more than that Long-term on the rate. multifamily. 15 is epic. Right, well, I'm yeah. not paying taxes on any of the returns either. Zero percent. 1031ing. But like another component of this, man, it's so hard because um, like you can't really compare anything sort of like in isolation, apples to apples, really, because everything is uh, like essentially what you're doing is, is comparing beta. Like, you know, equity beta is going to outperform sort of like real estate returns 
over a long period of time. And that's, that's like the comparison you're making. I agree with that, but, um, wait, did you say equity outperforms real estate? Yeah. Equity, like stocks outperform real estate. So yeah, you're talking single I, family homes specifically. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I, think, I, I did research on this and I found the opposite. What like, you in find? the numbers I pulled, no it way. was pretty close though. I thought no. single family homes are like a 3%. No, the real average. return is actually, no, there's 3%, but you're not factoring in the leverage you get from a mortgage, Absolutely. which is like the big Absolutely. thing. Like this is the, why this is such a complicated problem. Yeah. Because but when you sell it, you have to pay back the debt no but you like, no if you but take, you're, you're leveraged if you, you take five five x leverage up front because you're only paying 20 percent down like this this bet becomes like really magnified like your returns get really magnified and this is like normalized like people in in real estate don't blink like they actually think that 20 percent down is actually like you're really collateralized uh mm-hmm. and it's like yeah, it's it, kind of it, funny if you do that in stocks it's like you're getting liquidated immediately yeah like <laughs> yeah. if i rolled up in the discord today and i was like hey, i went 5x long for 40 percent of my net worth which is what people do very frequently in real estate if not more you you guys would be like uh yeah but there's good collateral right and the, and the bank owns owns the note so it's like we'll just take it's normal keys. it's yeah. normal in real estate yeah. but but yeah eric you're right i mean like when i pulled the sort of non-leveraged it was 3.9 percent okay for the last 26 years, if you take it, and, and again, this is everything. It's so market dependent, but it's, it's only 3.9%. But I think an interesting comparison- Is that nominal or real? Because Nominal. The real is like, it's the real like 1% is, or yeah, less. Exactly. That's just nominal. Yeah. I, I think an interesting thing to do is to take REITs, with real estate investment trusts, like from, from stock market, right? You can pull REIT returns and you actually get like, I you get about REITs. 10%. And I think you get- in the nines for like other stocks. So it's very close, like residential REITs versus stocks. And th- those REITs are, they're leveraging. They are taking on debt. They're doing similar stuff to what you would do. So I think it's kind of like a, it, it, it's very comparable. What's interesting is like, I ran the numbers that you ran, but I ran them with like kind of like the old rates where it was like a 3.7% mortgage. And with those rates, I had to get a 19% return on my right. capital to make it sense to not own, to rent instead. Like I remember when, uh, yeah, when rates were near zero, uh, Warren Buffett, the stock guru said, there's no better investment than a single family home right now. And that this guy invests only in stocks. Agreed. That makes sense. When, yeah. when the, the cost of money is so cheap, you're, you're going to see a, a, a price inflection in, in the home prices for sure, which, which we saw. So and it's entirely market dependent. That's the problem. Like right. with, this, yeah. with this conversation. But but you can see why real estate goes haywire, right? Like if a couple of people run some basic math and go like, oh, this is like an 18, 19, 20% return. I'll just buy. I'll just bid real estate. And obviously real estate goes to the moon until it gets to the point where the, the returns kind of equalize against but stocks. But also like, let's talk about the risk side too. Like uh, um, Like a home doesn't, doesn't go down in value as much as uh, you know, like the Nasdaq has, or maybe not like as much as uh, RK has, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, tell people who bought in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, sure. that didn't but, probably feel good. Yeah, it didn't feel good, but you know, like it's a less volatile asset class. Yeah. So, like, even if it has lower returns, it also has lower risk. Like, if you're talking about I, sharp ratio, that's a it's a different conversation. I think the risk more lies in the type of debt that you take. And this, this, I think in our assumptions, like we're not looking at anything exotic, but it depends on the type of debt. If it's variable debt, you're way risky, way, you know, you can get caught with your pants down and depending on how many mortgages you have, I mean, that, that was the cause of, you know, the big short. So is there a very clear, definite answer on this first aspect of the quantitative piece? 
Yeah, like, to me, it's like unequivocal in most average scenarios that renting most scenarios over time, you're going to end up with more money like, in your pocket on a net present value basis. Even <laughs> considering, well, he's talking let, about a specific. We're also mean, using let's, two let's different calculators a little bit more on it because yeah. it, it's it's obviously nuanced and it's complicated and there's a lot of variables. So we're gonna we're gonna gloss over some stuff. But I, I mean, I remember doing this math when I was. When did I move to San Diego? I was like 25, 26, and I, and I did the math on this. And I, I, I was I was playing poker at the time, and I was doing like these like all these like random investments. I was doing a lot of stuff like you did. I was a lot more active, and and I ran the math on it, and I was like, why, wait, why, why am I going to buy a house? It, it made no sense to me at the time when I crunched the numbers. I think this is especially true if you're younger. If you are starting businesses, if you are doing more aggressive stuff with your capital, like if you're like a single 24 year old guy who's made some cash and you want to like put in a bunch of work and like aggressively grow that capital, like real estate isn't really the thing. Single family, home single real estate. family. You always yeah. clarify. Yeah. yeah. But, but like once you start talking about like hustling and doing stuff and then you're like, oh, I'm, I'm hustling and hunting down apartment deals and running there's, these deals. That's then it's, it's there's so many people though that argue, especially real estate gurus uh, and influencers that argue for the power of like your primary investment at a young age should be real estate before stocks because of the power of the fact that you're five X like leveraged on something that, that like not, and, 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 and look at it in 30 years, like you have passive, cash flow from that in 30 yeah. years from now if you and you could even pay it off sooner yeah so i like, think i think the classic overgeneralization is like well don't don't pay off your landlord's mortgage yeah. pay off your own build equity in your own house and that's just an oversimplification you're throwing money away right like it's just like everybody com- always says you're throwing but i, I want to hit some of these like if we're going to call them myths and debunk them a little bit like that is the classic saying. That right. is what I hear commonly every single day. It's like, I would rather not put my money in my landlord's pocket. I'd rather like build up something of value as an asset that even I own maybe 30% of, but to me, it's still more worthwhile. And the leverage is like important because you can do so much with that. Sure. And sure. is your biggest consternation that like um, the amortization schedule means that you're paying like 99 six percent interest right from the beginning and then it like it goes it scales down from there but it's like it's all interest at the beginning yeah i think that's that's one of them it's also that maybe it'll put that as number one number two is like underestimating maintenance costs uh two property taxes and then three just the opportunity cost is the biggest one i don't think you mentioned insurance too that's another expense yeah for, for sure that's that's in there um, and, and this is taken into account fucking HOA forever on some like condos and apartments. Oh my God. It's like insane forever. in San Diego. Yeah. Right. right. And like, and that only goes up. HOAs are so ridiculous. I don't know what, like, cause people own in your building and like right. HOA is probably a thousand dollars a month. Exactly. A thousand dollars a month. Ugh. And so your, your annual maintenance cost as a percentage of your home value is, is lower, but still it's, uh, that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't go ever. To pay pay the one. yeah <laughs> Ma- maintenance yeah. is the nasty one right. that like sneaks up on people right but the other thing that people don't think about and it's not necessarily a bad thing but when you buy a place and then you want to make your own and you you buy a house then suddenly you want to buy a little nicer furniture because you're going to be there more than a year oh. and you want to buy some art and the next thing you know you've turned around and dumped like a huge chunk of the purchase price into just furnishing. Are you decorate. speaking for a friend? Oh, you might, you might. You might have a fiance that only wants RH time. <laughs> <laughs> you might. You might. 
<laughs> so that's where I think things get really interesting is the discussion around the qualitative aspects of why homeownership makes sense. And I think it really ultimately comes down to that for most people. It's like you get to a place in your life, there's so many other factors that are the immeasurables, the intangibles, the the feeling of like joy and happiness that a space can give you when it's your own. And those are the things that make people make these decisions that maybe don't make sense in terms of like opportunity costs and the math on the investment as a, as a whole in comparison to say Ethereum, uh, which we can get into. Yep. But qualitatively, there's so many reasons that are just unpredictable and variable from person to person that for me, I personally like never had. I never had that inclination, that desire to want to own a property. I own a headache? You like being a property it, manager? That's what it is to me because <laughs> I'm the most, I'm like the opposite of my dad. My dad does everything himself with his hands. He, he's built, he built his current home. Like he built his right. dream home. He architected it. He constructed it. He basically was like general contractor. He created a vineyard. If there's a problem, he gets the root of it. He YouTubes it. Now he's like, now I have fucking YouTube, son. <laughs> like I can figure out anything. And so I have, I don't have that desire whatsoever. So I have, I've always known that like my maintenance cost is going to be like triple most people's because I already outsource everything. So it's a huge headache for me, but I'm getting to a point where I'm like, that would be nice. Yeah. It could be good. There's a future here where I can be comfortable. <laughs> yeah, you and- outsource your Ikea building. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I, I do. Is that bad? No. I think it's, you know, to each their own. I think there's also like a, like a overemphasis on homeownership when it comes to like the health of the general economy. You often hear like homeownership is going up or down. And like, I, I don't think that's like a, a good metric for the overall economy. Like, uh, I think it was Bush and Greenspan were like, well, we want everyone to be able to afford a home. We want people to have the American dream to be able to purchase a home. Interest rates were low and we you know, eased lending standards. And it turns out that not everyone can afford a home. And so I don't know if home ownership is, is like a good example for the, for the economy or a good a metric of the economy. Um, but you know, my question comes, let's say you believe this model that like most of the time, it makes sense to rent. You're going to have more money in your pocket on a net present value basis than if you owned a home. But when do you when do you buy one? No, I think this is just saying that it's uh, mathematically in your favor to own higher volatility, higher return assets, like higher risk, higher return assets pay more over time. Like that's the that's the conversation we're having, and I don't think it's really apples to apples. But what else would you put your money in? Like Steven said, like REITs versus stocks is actually like a, a better comparison. Well, that's fine. If I put 6% in this calculator, it's still on the positive. Yep. What if you put 11%? It's even better. Stocks. Oh, yeah, even better. You're, if your opportunity cost is... Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. The higher it is, it's better. But like, yeah, no, it doesn't but have I, to be I, that these, high. These, these yeah. rates are not going to sustain though. Like 6% mortgage is going to come down Agreed. a lot, right? And in... I saw in my calculations that what we had before, like 3.6, was like a uh, buy. What so are you doing? No buy a house. Yeah. And we had like in the twos, right? So I, I think if you're going to get like a 4% mortgage, especially if you want to, we're looking at like this historical data, right? But let's, let's put on our extrapolation caps for a moment because we all make investments thinking the future is going to be a particular way. And we all, I think, think we're going to be entering this sort of paradigm where we're going to start monetizing a lot of debt. 
I think that your numbers moving forward, we should, we should probably skew them. I think it's probably, this goes in the face of a lot of things people tell you, but I think it's probably a good time to take on a lot of debt coming up, right? Because I think- you can refi later or what? I think we're just going to enter a decade or two decade period, right? Where governments have to choose between defaulting on debt, austerity, and a deflationary economic collapse, or they have to monetize the debt. Print money. Not so a, there is no choice. Print money. print money. So if you believe that's the case, you should, even right now, right? We're like, oh my God, inflation is not, inflation's going crazy. But, but real rates, right? If you take like GDP and it, like real rates are negative right now yeah, by a lot. And let's remove one of those from the equation because they're not going to choose austerity. So they're going to print money. They're, they're obviously Choiceless not, right? Choice. They're going yeah. to print money, right? So not financial advice, but <laughs> like you, you should probably be taking on debt if you think you're entering an environment where your debt is going to be monetized away. You generally want to- What kind of debt are you talking about here to like, be specific? So when you when you take out a mortgage, right, your mortgage is benchmarked to like treasury rates, right? So if you think the U.S. is going to print a bunch of money, to the the, the going thought, right, is that like we cannot get out of this purely by growing. We have to grow GDP at some absurd amount. But given the fact that the demographics in the Western world look so shit right now, we're not going to be able to grow at that rate unless we like discover cold fusion tomorrow or, or massive crazy- immigration. Yeah, it, well, we have that card to play here in the U.S., so I think we're, we'll maybe be okay there, right? But like, what we're going to try to do is force people into bonds to kind of keep the rates lower than they should be given inflation, and then we're going to try to turn on the money money printers to stimulate growth, and we're going to try to get into this paradigm where we have like five percent inflation, but like eight percent GDP or something crazy, and then run that for like a decade. Because then you have you you you're basically like borrowing money at three percent, like negative three percent, right? Like you're if if you're the government, you're 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 basically you're monetizing the debt. Um, so in that type of environment, you don't want to be somebody lending money. You want to be somebody borrowing money because the money that you're paying back in the future isn't just a factor of like your interest rate; it's also a factor of the inflation. You are paying back money well in the said. future that is worth less than what you borrowed it for. So it is. It is just sort of like mathematically, yeah. this isn't to say you should take out mortgages that are far in excess of what you could pay for with adjustable rates. But if you take out like sure. a 30 year mortgage, that's well within your means of paying for it. Like I, that feels like it's going to be an obviously good decision, especially if we're like six months from now, rates are still kind of high and property prices have, have collapsed. That could be a really good opportunity because you could probably get into something when people are like, I'm out selling. You could get ahead of a pivot where rates end up going back the other direction again. Mm-hmm. Then you can refi, oh, yeah. That's get a lower plan. rate, and then so your value is going to be pushed plan. up. And then they're going to inflate away your, your so mortgage. It's I, like a triple yeah. dip. I, I agree. I think I just still think it's better to put that money into, say, income-producing real estate where you do get the leverage. And if you do get it in at a higher interest rate... Later on, when interest rates go down, you can refi and pull out money. So if, if you have the time and let me ask, let me ask yeah. Nick, like, what's it going to take for you to personally ever uh, purchase a primary residence? Is it going to be purely qualitative or is there ever a time where uh, even Steve, what Stephen just described, like that's 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 like my play. That's right. like a good opportunity. Is that what something you're thinking about? Yeah, I don't think of it within the investment thing. I think of it more yeah. like a consumption thing. 
Like I Lifestyle. buy, yeah, like I buy this laptop. I don't think it was an investment. And you don't buy micro- shit. So this would be a big purchase. <laughs> right. I'd be <laughs> freaking out. But I think it more as a consumption thing rather than an investment. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. use this to con- consume something. Um, but yeah, I think in, in general, it would be nice to do it with when money's cheap, but it is, it is tough. Every time I get close to the, to even thinking about it, I'm like, but my opportunity cost. So it's literally a purely emotional purchase for you. Right. Like there's nothing about it that would ever equate to like being a good investment. And, decision. and hopefully for because you. of, because of, you know, investments made five years ago, my hope is that I only have to pay for the down payment and the cash flow from right. the, you know, rental real estate will just more than more than pay for the mortgage. So that's a great, that's a great sequence of events. So there's like a jealous, like this conversation <laughs> has been good and nuanced. Like, what do you want? Uh, the spicier take yeah. that I've heard, uh, the <laughs> algo, the <laughs> algo has brought out a spicier take saying that, that primary residence is not investment at all. Uh-huh. And that's a take that I'd refute, uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah. Why? Well, because, uh, it, it makes up, you know, 30% of American wealth and those numbers do go up over time. So that can be an investment clearly. All right. So here, here's the counter to that. And, and, uh, this is, this is an old school book, rich dad, poor dad take is yeah. that in, first, in, first one I ever read that like put me on this path of Same. Rob, big Robert. Yeah, yeah. Robert Kiyosaki. <laughs> anyway, um, you can laugh at them all, at well, all you the want. The irony is he's like the biggest real estate guy of all time. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he like, he's a huge real Does, estate doesn't guy. He, I haven't read his stuff. This is just like, do real estate and then pour it all into gold. Bitcoin He's big, now. big gold and He's Bitcoin guy. He's a Bitcoin. I've even uh, been co-invest. We're happen to be in some of the same properties together, same oh, apartment complexes nice. by by accident. Um, but in any case, he describes an investment or maybe an asset as: does it put cash in your pocket or does it pull cash out of your pocket? I think it's a great way to look at. It. And so I think it's terrible. It, it, it's terrible because it doesn't necessarily take into appreciation, but it does get to the. For, I think for the average American, for you know maybe an average it's investor, based on his outcome though, right? He's like, okay, you're going to buy a home and it's going to suck more cash out of your pocket than would uh, rent. And if you bought rental real estate or some other type of investment, it would have put cash in your pocket. And well, really, you like buy it anyways. I mean, it is cash outflow either way. Even buying a stock's cash outflow. Like everything's a cash outflow. You know, using his framework. Yes, buying ETH is a cash outflow. Like it's it's it's. But you can you can putting, reduce your net outflow from rent if you invest the down payment in. in I'm a just pointing out why it's a silly uh, framework right. that he uses to say like what is an investment, what isn't. It's I think it's. Ridiculous. But like I I I like that because like just like a business, you know, your business survives on cash, and once you run out of cash, and once your cash flow negative, like you enter into the fucking danger zone, mm-hmm. and that also happens to be like when you're living your monthly life, like. Once you're negative cash flow and you're burning into your savings, life is very, very stressful. And so I think a, a good, if it's not technically correct, a good advice is like if something put cash in your pocket, generally put in the asset column, not the liability column. And if someone takes cash out of your pocket, the liability, uh, you know, goes in the liability column. So I think that's, that's the counter to it that, uh, you know. Yeah. I think it's just like a little, you're going high level, like higher, um, higher skill level because like. We said that 42% of millennials own homes. We know freaking none of them at age 30. <laughs> yeah. um, so what I'm, what I'm seeing is that like a lot of people are making this decision and it's, um, it's not like they're, they're not buying cars and uh, flat screen TVs. They're buying a home. And I think it's actually an improvement on consumer debt, you know, like this is this versus actually, credit cards. Yeah. And, this yeah. actually is an investment. Uh, and I'm only refuting a, a comment that you've made aside of the podcast, not even something you've said today. 
you know, this is just like, a, this is one of your, uh, you know, you plant your flag, like a primary residence is not an investment. Okay. If it is, it's not a good one is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not optimized perhaps, but you know, I, I go back to that idea that's like, well, real estate is, is lower return, lower risk than uh, everything you've talked about. That was well said. It's the most accessible and like um, sort of like well-taught there is a clear roadmap to follow sure. in society. It's, be like a level one it's hard thing. to fuck it up. You don't have to go yeah. to like level 10 of investment yeah. knowledge. You yeah. can start at level also one. Also, like the 99% of humans aren't like the algo over here, right? They're not like, <laughs> I'm going to allocate all of my free capital to like, they, they're just like, they think they'll do it. But in reality, they take their free cash flow and then they spend it on dumb shit. So right. real estate, although it might be slightly negative EV in theory, like ends up being plus EV for people because it turns them into forced savers where they constra- otherwise provide constraints. So yes. Good yes. for society. They may otherwise have taken that money and not, they, they may have spent it on like Dogecoin or put it in some dumb startup that their, their well, buddy. That's like, a phenomenal you know. investment. So yeah, Armand's still holding Hold Doge. I'm pretty sure. I'm absolutely still holding Doge. <laughs> I, I, should, I should clarify. Try to come get it. Yeah, they, put it they put it in Dogecoin like pre, diamond pre Elon SL. I remember I told Steven I bought Dogecoin at four cents and then I think it ripped to it like, like 50 cents, 26 cents after some event. And I called him like, hey, dude, what is this fucking Dogecoin? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what yeah. do I do with this? He's like, you bought Dogecoin? Dude? Yeah, and then like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, I was like, fucking gambling. A year later, Steven was like, I just realized the, the highest yeah. possible sharp ratio actually includes a little Dogecoin. <laughs> Numbers don't lie. I'm not going to mess with the meme memes are powerful i'm learn always that. gonna definitely I'm learn always that. gonna hold GameStop, a little doge always right, cool. shouldn't have sold that either <laughs> fucking learn that hard way i think i have uh one more thing to say on this topic before yes. we wrap it up cool. I, I i have like a sort of mental model that that's worked for me about this right i, I think you have to decide what t- what type of person you are first and like how old you are right so you decide how old you are or no, you decide what okay, type of person you, you are, that. Okay. and then you are old. Okay, you, you cannot it. just identify as being not. Sorry, I've had a whole. <laughs> I've had a full thing. Sorry, I'll, I'll keep it for the alcohol yeah. episode. <laughs> um, I think in life, like at the extremes, right? You can aspire to be like this. Is going to pull something from uh, "Fooled by Randomness" by the guy who blocked me on Twitter, Taleb. Um, you can be a. You can you can aspire to be a dentist in life, or you can inspire to like own a jet, right? To, to own a dentist is to pick a path that guarantees an incremental linear path to a very comfortable life with no prayer of ever owning a jet, but also no chance virtually of being in poverty. The other path is a path of like taking risks and trying to get into like a higher echelon, right? Um, when I was younger, I viewed wealth from my perspective, is like a step function, right? It's not this linear thing where you build to me, right? Like if you have $400 to your name, it's going to do you zero good to invest your $400 at 6% a year. You're you're never going to be a millionaire. You're not going to make it that way. You are not going to make it that way, right? So if you're on the dentist path, then yeah, you, you put your money in the real estate, you incrementally grow, you just keep doing that, you go back to being a dentist, you make your 
350K a year at some day, you retire, you're very comfortable and you go on with your life, right? But if that's not your path, right, then wealth is a step function, right? It's not linear. Like going from doubling your money from $500 to $1,000 doesn't do shit, right? You have to 10X your money. And then you have to 10X your money again. Like you're not going to do that. Are you including like the power of like compound math in that though? Like, because if you just keep- I I am. Because if you start with $100, there's no amount of compounding in this lifetime that's going to get you to do it. Yeah, the years required just goes beyond. Sure. Like you have to, like like when I was younger, like I was like, can I make 30, 40, 50% on my money by being like- very active in what I do and being very risky in the bets I take and the stuff that I'm doing, right? If that's your mindset, then you shouldn't be putting money into real estate. You should be keeping as much cash as possible when you're younger and taking those risks. Because if you lose the money, whatever, you just start over again. And it doesn't matter. You're young or single. If that's like what your take on life is, I want to, I want to view wealth as the step function. I want to climb the steps then real estate's just not a good investment as like a young 20s person who is like trying to actively put his money to work, take risks and do it. Unless you were trying to do that literally in real estate and lever up and start a fund and raise a bunch of investors and stuff. That's totally different. But if you're like an entrepreneur and you've got like a dream and you've got all these things and hustle, you're going to get a way higher return on your capital when you're younger doing that. Like it's not going to be a great return on your time, but your time isn't worth anything then. And that, that that's what I did when I was younger. I definitely like eschewed real estate. I put the capital to doing the step function stuff and trying to like leapfrog into like a new tier. And as I've gotten older, like I've definitely mentally shifted into, ah, I need to preserve what I have and grow and I'm going to be on a good path now. So I think it's important for people to ask who they are, how old they are, what these goals are. Are you the dentist or are you the jet wannabe? And that's going to like kind of be because because real estate is not good or bad in isolation. It's good for some people. It's bad for others, depending on their 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 alternatives and that's all I have to say on that. Yeah, that's good guidance. Good one. Yeah, I like it. It's ended there. With some sweet, sweet philosophy by the uh, the personality. So the next <laughs> episode, uh, we're going to be talking about radically moderate thinking in a polarized world. And we're going to actually tell you guys what this whole radical moderate thing means. See you guys there. Peace. Bye. Bye.